I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. You're listening to Deep Cut. Typically, we'll be the ones picking the films, but today we have a very special episode because we're fortunate to welcome our very first guest to the show to share his own deep cut pick. Our guest today is writer-director Andrew Ahn. He's the director of two features, Spa Night from 2016 and The Humane and Deeply Kind Driveways from 2019. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. So when I reached out to you, Andrew, uh, one of the directors that you suggested that you wanted to cover on this episode was Jonathan Glazer. And in particular, Glazer's film Birth was your deep cut pick. So tell us about your connection to Birth. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I think so much of the kind of cinephile community loves Under the Skin. Like, they love Under the Skin so much. And and I think it's a brilliant movie. I think it's super fascinating and just so, you know, interestingly put together. But, you know, I think it's really weird, maybe appropriately so, that his second feature, Birth, people just, you know, they don't know as much about. And then actually, like, looking at how it was received at the time was, like, really mixed, you know, critical reception. Like, a lot of people hated the film, which I found really fascinating. I first saw the movie in college, and I had heard about it, and I think I was just really interested in it from kind of a performance point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, people have mentioned, like, Nicole Kidman's performance, and in particular that one bravura shot scene you know, where the camera just holds on her at this symphony concert. And so I was, I was kind of interested in it from that point of view. And then I, I didn't realize like how fascinating, heartbreaking, like fucked up the movie is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of haunted me, you know, ever since. And so I remember watching it in my dorm room, like my freshman year of college. And so that was 2004. So it's been so... 17 years. Wow. Am I doing my math right? <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I think I that's, yeah, that's about it. So you saw it when it came out. Yeah, you saw it that year. Is it that year? Yeah. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been, yeah. And so, yeah, like, I guess whenever it, like, came out on DVD or something. But I think it's such a weirdo film, and I rewatched it just, <laughs> you know, this afternoon. And so, you know, it's very kind of fresh in my mind. But, yeah, just so kind of, Here's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of different avenues that we can take with this film. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to do a really quick background on Jonathan Glazer, who is a British writer-director who only has three features under his belt. He's most well-known for his 2013 film Under the Skin, which stars Scarlett Johansson as an alien, comes to Earth and preys on men in Scotland. And he also has his first feature, Sexy Beast. Did you see that before you saw Birth, Andrew? I actually hadn't seen Sexy Beast until after our, uh, I watched both Birth and Under the Skin. So Sexy Beast was the third thing that I watched of his. You know, I think it's amazing. I think it's actually, like, super interesting. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, Birth was the first thing I ever saw of his, actually. Yeah. Before we jump into the deep end, I think it'd be good for our listeners to get a brief description of what the movie (laughs) is about. Um, (laughs) 
what is birth about? Oh, 90 just... minutes childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the film is about Anna, played by Nicole Kidman, who's recovering from the death of her husband, Sean, and is recently engaged to her boyfriend, Joseph. So on the night of her engagement party with Joseph, uh, a 10-year-old boy named Sean shows up and says that he is her dead husband reincarnated and tells her not to marry Joseph. And through the course of the film, Anna becomes increasingly convinced that Sean is her dead husband. I've only seen a sections of Sexy Beast, but I feel like the three features are so distinctly different from each other. And, like, it really shows that every time that he decides to make a feature film, he's sort of, like, rebranding himself. I sort of think about, like, how pop stars do different eras every time that they release an album and uh, how <laughs> Jonathan Glazer tries a new thing every time he makes a feature. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a very distinct, uh, maybe not reinvention, but I think that there's like a distinct choice that Jonathan Glazer is making with each story to find an aesthetic, to find a philosophy in the filmmaking that fits the narrative that he's telling. And so there's definitely very big visual audio choices that he's making. But at the same time, I have to say that there is what feels to me like a through line, which is just like an intense, like kind of cinematic quality, you know, that there's like a love for sound and image and to express something kind of beyond just the kind of plot. You know, he, I think he's really interested in tone and mood and how you can achieve that through cinematography through sound design uh, and then for me I think that there is like a real kind of humanism to him right you know watching sexy beast what I was so struck by was how much you know the protagonist is in love with his you know partner or wife mm -hmm. the movie spends a lot of time very pointedly setting up their connection which is so interesting because it's kind of a it's a gangster movie in a in yeah. a lot of ways <laughs> And then with Under the Skin, that's literally like what it means to be human and this alien trying to figure it out. Um, and then in in Birth, just this like really fascinating question of what if you can't get over like the love of your life? And, and that to me is so heartbreaking. And so some people might critique Glazer by saying that he feels kind of too austere, right? That there's kind of just like a, a superficial quality to him. But I actually, I find it like almost the opposite that like I, there's always depth underneath everything he's doing, you know, cinematically. Right. He's very good with his actors to bring out a lot of feeling. I mean, that centerpiece shot of birth where Nicole Kidman's character, Anna, goes to the symphony. The camera goes in with her. It's zooming in on her very slowly as she sits down and you just watch the events of the movie so far float past her eyes and she starts to smile. Danny Houston interrupts her. It's just like tracking all the nuances in her performance. That is where I pick up a lot of what you're saying, Andrew, about Glazer being deeply invested in the feelings of his characters. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that I mean, that shot, you only do that if you care about the people and trust your actor as a creative collaborator on this you know yeah, like there's nowhere sure. to hide with that kind of filmmaking and so you do get this real sense that like yeah like he respects the actress he respects the character i think the shot really wouldn't work if it wasn't like a powerhouse performance 
It doesn't use dialogue so much to explain feelings, I think. And that shot particularly is all about what Nicole Kidman does with her face. Yeah, and it's just her face as well. It's just her face. And there's another close-up on her when she talks to Clifford and I think his wife. And there's a close-up on her when she speaks to him. And the way that her eyes dart around, the way that she averts her eyes, the way that she looks at Clifford and speaks to him about asking him to help her was even more powerful for me, I think. That was when I was like, okay, I see everything behind her eyes. And that close-up is a really weird close-up because it's it's very close actually like the camera's really close to her and 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 the angle is also very funny you know it's like a kind of coming from Clifford's point of view and it's a really weird scene actually uh, rewatching it I was like it's covered so bizarrely because then you have Anne Heche's character kind of off to the side it's a very strange scene but I uh, it's also like partially out of focus. Um, there's like a, a moment in the scene. It's kind of the medium shot of Nicole Kidman that like, oh, I'm like watching it. And it's like, it's clearly not focused on her. Actually, it's a little off. You know, her performance in there, I think, is really heightened by the filmmaking, this kind of unease and this like trying to like seem like you're you're cool and put together. But obviously you are so messed up by this, you know, and she is trying to hide the fact that she totally believes that this is true. It's it's a really kind of perfect melding of like performance and cinema that I think is really interesting. The other thing, just to go back to that first long take of, of Nicole Kidman at the uh, orchestra, is that the music's also doing like a lot of heavy lifting, actually. Like it's yeah. like super dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think that that's a part of Glazer's strategy here. You know, it's like, I mean, in all his films, like the score is so intense and so specific, you know, like the under the skin score is so specific. Mika Levy. Mm. Mika Levy. <laughs> I mean, just like brilliant, like really brilliant. And like birth, you know, sexy beast. I think that there's a lot of you know, Glazer isn't afraid of score and, you know, how to use it and when to use it and when it really works to his advantage. And I think like a lot of that scene, the music is definitely a big part of it. I think the score in Birth is so important in so many scenes just to like carry the tone and carry the mood. Just thinking about that opening shot where you have no clue what's going on and you're it's like a wide tracking shot behind Sean who's running in Central Park and then you just have that really overbearing like classical score that is taken over by these synths it's very very interesting and I think sets the tone for the rest of the film to come yeah definitely Glazer is very good at pairing score and camera movement uh, you know things like the slow zooms and these exquisite pans that he does he's good at taking the techniques of visual and audio and making them match up with each other and cohere into a mood. That's not maybe the most <laughs> incisive thing in the world, but he is making very specific choices technically that concoct the tone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, these films are crafted so meticulously, you know, there's something about the way that they are put together that really shows kind of Glazer's you know, just like sense of what's cinematic, you know, it's a really small moment, but in birth when, you know, potentially reincarnated Sean at, you know, child Sean sees his brother Clifford. Clifford comes to like check out this kid and be like, who are you? 
it's so fascinating. You know, you see Sean and then you see Clifford and then you hear Sean running and then you see him just like right at the hug. And there's something about like not showing Sean running, but just hearing it and then seeing the like the intense, you know, embrace that makes the audience think like, oh, like Sean recognizes his brother, you know, and Clifford having this like weird reaction to this like very intense hug, you know, that is just so fascinating. Like I think so many other directors and editors, you know, you would put together that scene and you would see Sean run and like grab his, you know, potentially brother. But, uh, but you know, there's something about the sound of the running that is almost more impactful. And every scene of Glazer's work feels like motherfuckers doing it on purpose. Like everything <laughs> is just like done on purpose. And like, I watch it as a filmmaker and think like, oh, I'm so jealous because you just have such a, a mastery, you know? And sometimes it doesn't work. But for me, it's like, even if it doesn't work, I can see that you were trying something like he just never seems like he's coasting and that to me is just like yeah not at all he's yeah. shooting his shot every scene he's just trying to do something crazy every scene do you feel like this is something that you take into your own work like even quiet scenes you're just like i'm going to try doing this with the sound or try doing this with my um shot placement um you know i have to say that like that I'm as focused on kind of this creating a cinematic experience as as a filmmaker like Glazer. Like I'm I'm trying so hard, but I will say that I think that Glazer is kind of swinging for it, and sometimes mm-hmm. I I kind of you know chicken out a bit. And some of that is because you know I know I'm a different filmmaker. I think that I'm often trying to be as honest in my filmmaking as possible and trying to kind of disappear a lot, you know, underneath the story. And and Glazer's not really doing that. Glazer's (laughs) presence is very forceful. He's he's there as a filmmaker, as an author. I don't think I could do that all the time. I mean, I'll also say Mm -hmm. that I think filmmakers can do that more when you do have a bigger budget and just more resources, you know, it's like right. if you have Nicole Kidman, <laughs> you know, if you have like $20 million, yeah. like there's a certain amount of swagger you can pull that like is, I think is, is not impossible, but harder when you have a lower budget, you know, but right. it's kind of like who is Kubrick without like a giant budget, you know, like I don't <laughs> totally know, right. Like you can kind of only pull off some of those things if you have like, amazing locations amazing actors like all the time in the world like that is something that differentiates me both on a kind of practical level but also like a philosophical level you know i'd like to draw a connection from something that i notice in driveways to uh birth but i know that some filmmakers don't like to be told like (laughs) an observation about their work is it okay to draw a connection (laughs) i'm dying to hear it okay okay (laughs) One of my favorite aspects of driveways is how much time you give to the faces. Your editor, Catherine McQuarrie, you know, that's a choice that, of course, is made in conjunction between director and editor, how much time is given to a performance. And when I was watching Birth, knowing that you had chosen it, I was thinking about the amount of time that goes into the shots of Anna. And of course, in driveways, there isn't, you know, a full two to three minute take of Hong Chao. But I think there's more time and patience than is typical, even in American indie film. So I see that connection to Glazer. I mean, I'll, I'll say it's interesting. Um, 
thinking of time and pace, I will fully admit that I think I have a just like a slower sense of rhythm when watching film or making film than many others. I remember my first TV directing gig was to direct the first season of a show called This Close that was on Sundance Now, the Sundance Channel streaming service. And I thought, you know, like this was my first TV gig and like with my editors, like, you know, we we had to pace it up because it was television and our executives were like, it has to be fast. And and I was like, all right, we're going to cut the shit out of this. Like it's going to be like <laughs> snappy, snappy, snappy. And then the New York Times, who gave us a very good review, was just like the laconic, slow pacing <laughs> of the show. And I was like, ah, like really? Like and, and similarly, like Driveways is, is a pretty it's a pretty quick movie. It's 83 minutes long, you know, it's not mm-hmm, a long yeah. film. And I remember like when we were editing it, I was like, God, like we're editing it so fast, it's so snappy. <laughs> You know, and then I obviously like with a little bit of distance, like I'm just like, oh, like this is still, you know, we're still taking our time with it. Um, But compared to Spa Night, I think Driveways is like, you know, it's it's cut fast in in many ways. But yeah, like I, uh, you know, there is something about I think this is it has something to do with kind of different styles or different philosophies of narrative filmmaking where. I think that there are filmmakers who really prioritize psychology where they want you to know what this character is thinking at every time, you know, Mm -hmm. like you want to know like their hopes and dreams, you know, their fears and nightmares. And this often leads to what I think is a lot of dialogue in films and and just like talking and talking to explain yourself, right? And then there are filmmakers who prioritize behavior over psychology and it it's not necessarily that you know what this character is thinking it's that you you see what they do and from that kind of guess at what they're doing right and that to me just feels more like real life you know because it's not like I can get into someone else's head when I see them out in the world you know I can only see and hear what they do and say right like that's all I can understand and so for me, I think that that needs more time, you know, like that just needs more time. This is like my critique of that movie Bridesmaids, which is like a very fun movie. <laughs> but like, I kind of hate the fact that Kristen Wiig's character like is like a baker and they have to like do this backstory and she has to have like a dream of like having a bakery and she makes these cupcakes and then raccoons eat them. And I'm just like, what is this about? I don't care. I really don't care. You know, and 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 interestingly, like in birth, there's one scene where Nicole Kidman is in some sort of boardroom. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like, you don't know what job she has, because guess what? It doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know, we're just going to watch her and see her and we don't have to understand her or her entire life all the time. But it's still going to be fucking fascinating and weird, you know, because it makes you want to know more and you as an audience member are like digging into every frame of this movie trying to grab as much information as you can yeah it's more engaging as like kind of like a mystery right like you're kind of interested in like what are they doing what are they thinking i mean that's the whole point of this movie right is that you're as an audience supposed to be like what is nicole kidman thinking because it's (laughs) really weird right like and i think that there's something about secrets you know that really defines people's 
humanity, you know, like mm. if we didn't have secrets from each other, we wouldn't have our own identities and existences. And so I'm really interested in secrets, which is why, like, as a filmmaker, I kind of hate it when people tell me, like, you have to know everything about this character. You have to, like, understand, like, every part of their childhood, like their traumas, their, you know, successes. And and I just... I, I resist that a little bit because I think if you do that, you stop treating your characters like people and you treat them like puppets, right? And so mm-hmm. I kind of love it when I don't know something that like a character in my own movie does, right? You know, yeah. like, and, and that's where like working with an actor, a great actor especially is like so much fun because they can bring so much of that inner life that like you didn't expect or plan, you know? And I think that you really see that here in Birth. And, you know, just reading up a little bit on the background of the film, Nicole Kidman really, the script was like kind of retailored to like fit her, you know, and and her ideas. And I think that that's really interesting. I think thinking about watching a film as a viewer and not knowing exactly what's going on in the mind of the character, it's a more inviting experience because it's inviting you to fill in these blanks in the character's heads. And I really couldn't understand what was going on in Nicole Kidman's mind, the whole thing. And then when you reach the point where she goes to the boy in the bathtub and she's like, we're going to run away together. And I was like, wait, what? When did you make this decision? How did you get here? There's this huge black box which you don't really understand. And part of it is confusing, but part of it is also you kind of race to fill in the blanks and you you kind of make the conclusions yourself. That's a much more interesting experience as a viewer because... You have to actively think for the character. And I think also you being another person, you create your own version of Nicole Kidman. Like each of us probably has a different idea of how she reaches this conclusion or how she decides that this Sean is my Sean. I'm just really into that. (laughs) Like when I think about stuff that I'm, I'm writing and I always think about how I'm writing too much, there's a lot of fear in cutting stuff out because you're afraid that people won't understand what is going on. But I think watching something like Birth really makes you think about what can I do less of, especially with dialogue and explaining things, and Hmm. that you probably have to do more work in terms of like style and sound and image to get your point across. But that becomes like a more interesting challenge, which I think Glazer is, is, like you said, up to bat for. Like he's always swinging for the fences, trying to help you understand a feeling without just telling you. Yeah, I mean, it takes a really great filmmaker to kind of be able to do that. And it's interesting, like, seeing some of the old reviews where people are saying, like, oh, it's tensionally confusing or ambiguous or vague. But I think, you know, I think that's, it's really unfair because... I think that's the whole point of the the movie is that like you just have no sense as to what's real. And we've talked a lot about kind of trying to understand what Nicole Kidman's thinking. But in some ways, like the even greater mystery is like what's going on in this little kid's head (laughs) and like metaphysical, you know, being is he or is he not? And how does he know these things? Even if they were in the letters, some of them feel like they should, you know, like like what is all this and i i just think it's so interesting what do y'all think who is this kid what's the theory (laughs) oh boy i'm very curious what people think let me get my can opener for these can of worms (laughs) because earlier in the film he talks about having these moments of deja vu which i do think that he does have in addition to the letters So whether these moments of deja vu are moments that he's imagining or moments that are 
spiritually sent to him are up for debate in my mind. But I, I do think that, I don't know, they're, they're, it can't just be the letters, at least for me. I think there are two things that inform my takeaways from the movie. One is the reveal late in the movie that the adult Sean, who Anna lost, had been having an affair with his brother's partner, Clara, which the boy learns but does not tell to Anna. The other thing is this really fascinating scene between Anna and her fiancé, Joseph, played by Danny Houston, where Anna repeats all this dialogue over and over insistently that she's not responsible for what happened to her. And the kind of path that shapes in my mind for this kid is that Anna's letters of love to the adult Sean went unopened by Sean. These letters contain an idealized image of her late husband, one who was not unfaithful, one who was totally devoted to her and on a pedestal. Right. So the child becomes a manifestation of her projection of her late husband, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it all kind of becomes about how we project onto other people and how that specifically is what comes back to haunt her. Not an accurate or full memory of the late husband, if such a thing can really exist. And I start to think about that scene with Joseph where Anna insists that she's not responsible. And it just makes me think about, okay, beyond just like, can we escape the shadows of things that we've lost? It's about are our emotions part of us? Are they external to us? And do they happen to us? And are we responsible for the emotions themselves or how we respond to those emotions and how we act on those emotions? It gets very thorny psychologically at that point. And I'm more fascinated by the movie after that reveal. Mm. I kind of struggle with the reveal of the lover because right. I think it's it's where the movie stumbles for me because it starts to have to explain some stuff mm. and I was also confused because I was like why would you have love letters from your wife that are unopened right. that was like my first big question and I kind of wish there was a way that he could have done this without really explaining so much about the love letters and the state of them but what is interesting kind of after the fact of watching it because my immediate reaction when that scene happens with Sean's lover is that I was like oh okay so now we have a very naturalistic scientific, explainable reason how this boy is able to do this thing. <laughs> but then, of course, you start thinking about, okay, there are a bunch of stuff that he could not have known from the letter, like where he died or... Yeah. yeah, Like some of these like more metaphysical stuff that, that couldn't have been the letters. And I'm like, okay, these are the things that kind of break the spell of reality almost, where you're like, wait, the real stuff doesn't really make sense anymore. So actually, the metaphysical, spiritual stuff actually makes more sense. Right. And so there's something interesting about this film where I think when you talk about austerity, it's kind of how I think about it. There's a bit of plainness to it. How it doles out some information and shows some stuff where it's like, there's something mundane about this. Where the magic of it or the spirituality of it is sneaking into the mundane life of Anna. And I think that's where it becomes a more interesting movie for me, where it's spiritual without really pushing it in a very stylistic way. Yeah, like when you look at the slow zooms, the slow zooms are, to me, where he marks moments of otherworldliness. I think it's probably because of where he uses those zooms, where he kind of imbues this motif with something that feels a bit off, a bit otherworldly. And Mm -hmm. those moments really amplify this kind of mundane getting over my ex cinema as you... (laughs) As you term it, Wilson, <laughs> your Letterboxd review. That's yeah. True. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, like, even though I kind of struggle with, with the review, like, I think when I think about it in hindsight, it, it kind of works 
still, I can kind of get over that hump of, of the over-explaining of the lover and everything. Well, I think what I love about the reveal is that it's not actually a satisfying reveal, right? Mm-hmm. Is that Because we still all. have questions. <laughs> like, we're just like, but wait, no, like, how does he know, like, where he died, mm-hmm. right? Because that wouldn't be in a letter, you know? Like, that wouldn't be in something that he could read. You know, and so there is, there is something really interesting. I mean, like, Eli, you mentioned that, like, child Sean is kind of this just, like, kind of projected character or idealized character of Sean that, like, loved Anna and only Anna. But there is something about that where, like, for me is, like, is there something about having written, you know, or having having read those letters that, like, created some sort of channel between, like, Mm-hmm. You know, our world mm-hmm. and like this other world and like <laughs> allowed this child to be a vessel of some part of Sean, you know, um, there's something so messy about it all. And I think what's so interesting about the film is that it ultimately kind of feels like the lesson is that like it kind of doesn't matter, mm, like yeah. whether it was real or not, like this woman is just never going to get over her husband <laughs> and like how fucking tragic is that you know through that final scene at the beach it's just <laughs> so obvious and it's such an iconic image of her in a wedding dress just losing it at the edge of the water it's gonna be burned into my mind forever she's so frail she's so yeah. brittle you know she's so skinny and just like so if there's something about the physicality of that like when she walks away and she just looks so tiny and broken and it's just like wow like yeah i just feel like like the movie knew what it wanted to do and it just did it is yeah. like my feeling <laughs> andrew what you said about the truth of the nature of the boy sean not really mattering i totally agree with and it just points me right back to that scene between anna and joseph where anna says i wasn't responsible because everyone is going to have those ugly spots and bad tragic memories of things that we've lost yeah and they're going to stay with us and they don't go away and the question becomes what do we do with that and do we take that out on other people and ourselves how do we take responsibility for what we feel i would argue that anna fails at that but she's also failed by the people around her because she's placed i think very purposefully in this upper crust new york society that expects a veneer of perfection yeah i mean there there is something really fascinating about like the setting of this like being in just like such like blue blood new york Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting kind of world to put this story in and and like fascinating right that like sean child sean's family is not as wealthy and i don't know there's something really interesting about class that is happening yes you know i don't think it's the main kind of theme of the film but but yeah you know the other thing that i think the film is doing so interestingly is like it kind of allows everybody to be human for a moment like one Mm -hmm. of the most affecting scenes for me watching it this time around was when sean's mom like tucks him in Mm. and she has this whole thing about like a mission control like going to the moon and yeah and then he says to her like i'm not your stupid son anymore and i just was like holy crap like that's yeah this is heartbreaking and weird and yeah no, it's brutal it's fucked up <laughs> it's really brutal it's really really brutal it's a really interesting scene because it gives you this idea that this isn't just like a prank bro or like this you know what I mean? <laughs> and this is something that 
is affecting him. And also, it's interesting to have access to the personal life of Sean, the young Sean, because it doesn't mm-hmm. set him up as like some spiritual being that has appeared or like he, he's really a guy, like a kid yes. with a family. And so that sets it up in a very odd way. And then it creates even more questions uh, that you just cannot answer. I feel like everyone, when talking about this movie, like online or in reviews, like everyone talks about Kidman's performance. But I think like this movie is has to have like this really solid child performance. Yeah. Cameron Bright, who plays young Sean, absolutely nails it. Like if this was with like a lesser performer, mm. I just don't think that it would have worked. Like even with Nicole's reaction, and like if she were to like maintain that same level of acting, I don't think it would have worked on the audiences as effectively if it weren't for this child. And I think it's like so much harder because like when directing children, you have to be more more specific about like what they do or or, or how they move or what how they s- deliver their lines. And I was wondering cuz you Andrew, you also worked with Lucas J in Driveways and just working with child actors seems like such a hard task to me <laughs> <laughs> that I was wondering what you thought about this child performance. Oh, it's so good, right? Like, yeah. it's so yeah. it's so strange, actually. It's such a weird performance. He uh, he really does kind of feel like he ha- he captures this like kind of adult spirit, right? Which is so yeah. weird <laughs> and creepy. But yeah, I mean, I think you know what I see in this performance is like a very talented young actor and a director that just knows exactly what's going to work here. And and like, honestly, like a very real script, you know, like the scripting of it is like, you know, there's a really funny scene between child Sean and Joseph where like child Sean is eating cake. Oh yeah. And it's so good because like their, their (laughs) dynamic is so funny. Right. Because it's just like, Like, Joseph being so threatened by this child, right? Oh, my God, the spanking scene. (laughs) The spanking scene is so good. I mean, you know, what's what's so fascinating is that, like, in spanking this child, in getting riled up, Joseph is basically also, like, revealing that he thinks that this is true as much as Nicole Kidman does, Mm. right? As much as Anna does. Because, like, there's something about it, like, where if... Joseph didn't think this was true like he would just be like this is totally wacky and and honestly like you'd you'd either laugh the kid off or you'd like find psychological help for your fiance but instead he spanks he spanks child Sean and like it's just like oh like you know as much as Nicole Kidman believes it like it got to him too and I I think that's really fascinating and revealing but yeah I mean such a great like child performance just like so like keyed into like what this is Mm -hmm. and then i kind of love that moment at the end of the film where it's like picture day at school and he just smiles and he seems like a kid and you're just like (gasps) that's like the first time he smiles right he never smiles and then you're like wait he's back like he's back as himself you feel it because that's the first time he smiles kind of kind of yeah but then that voiceover letter is so creepy too (laughs) it's so sad like you know it's so it's fascinating it's really really fascinating I mean, I think that's what I love about this movie is that you kind of keep turning it and everything is a little weird and interesting, you know? Like, there's no side to the film that feels, like, obvious. To continue talking about casting, like, I just find it fascinating. I mean, the casting in this is really interesting. Like, Child Sean's mom is 
one of the prostitutes from American Psycho. <laughs> oh. That's wild. Yeah. You have Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Eleanor. Ted Levine. Peter, uh, uh, Peter Stramar. Stramar. Yeah, like he's in Fargo. He's, you know, one of the robbers from Fargo in a very different role. I mean, it's just such a wacky movie in this way that's like so, it's so interesting. I wanted to put one thing forward about the child casting as well. There's something that's almost like a stunt in the things that this kid goes through because there are just certain things that you know aren't faked and it creates a sense of danger for this child and it makes you want to protect this child, which are interesting feelings to put into the audience. And I'm referring specifically to the spanking scene, which has been brought up where Joseph freaks out and he attacks child Sean. There are also things like Sean getting in the bath with Anna, yeah. an adult woman, and Sean, the young boy Sean, kissing Nicole Kidman is one of the most horrifying things that I've seen. <laughs> like, it's hard to watch. And there's a real danger to it. Yeah. That's at a level external to the story. It's because of who's in these roles. Glazer wants you to feel as uncomfortable as possible in these moments. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for me, actually, like, if we're on the subject, the most horrifying thing in the movie is when Anne Heche says to child oh. Sean, like, I would have explored this oh, in this way that, like, right. it's just, like, so wrong. And there is, like, a really interesting reading of this as, like, you know, children as our most vulnerable people in society, how they are abused and mistreated, and it puts them in such a tenuous position. That's also what's so interesting about that performance is that he almost always seems in control, you know? Like, yeah. there is a strange power that he is holding throughout the entire thing. And I think it was very specifically uh, scripted and, and directed where it's like in, you know, that moment with the bath, like, you know, Sean is the one that like takes the initiative, you know, and Nicole Kidman has to be like, I think you have to go. And then and then in that kiss, like it is like, you know, he pulls her down into it you know there's a, a power dynamic does he he does he, yeah, he, yeah he has he has his hands on her face okay. you know the truth is is that it's still disturbing and shouldn't yeah. like this shouldn't be happening right this shouldn't be happening and it is and and i think that that's part of the fucked upness about the movie right i don't think that it deals with those topics glibly i agree Something that I said to Wilson when we were just on the phone earlier was that Glazer portrays the male body very vulnerably. So you think in Under the Skin as well, those key sequences where Scarlett Johansson's character lures men in and they're unclothed and they look so weak and frail. I saw that here in Birth as well, though, of course, he's a child. But it's just it's just interesting how Glazer makes nudity feel so weak <laughs> like the fetus that gets born in the opening minutes of the movie god that's such a good shot that fetus shot but yeah i, I you know eli have you seen sexy beast i have not i i'd be interested i mean it's so interesting that you mention like kind of male nudity because like the opening sequence of the film is like this dude in his like tiny ass speedo <laughs> you know just like tanning but something that i see 
I mean, I think about all three of the films and none of them feel titillating to me, right? There's not like a no. nudity no. as like, you know, erotic. It's it's almost just like, you know, you're just seeing behavior and like, yeah, like these people are going to take off their clothes right now, you know? And like the one sex scene that's in birth, right, where it's um, Joseph like on top of yeah. know, Anna is so unsexy. Yeah, because Anna's saying like, <laughs> he said I shouldn't marry you, <laughs> like while he's having sex and I'm like this is the most hilarious thing ever but yeah it's just I mean it's like it's it's a story moment right like it has nothing yeah. to do with just like wow like I want to like show mm. sexiness because you know because I because I think that that's like a thing that filmmakers can do sometimes that they're just like it's like sex for sex sake you know like there's a, a real kind of understanding of just like what people are doing yeah. you know and how people do it that is like yeah just like very interesting i was i was thinking about this Do you, in that sex scene with uh, between joseph and anna is that the only zoom out in birth because i remember it zooms out from her face and mm. then like comes out mm. i think it's the only zoom out i'm not very sure because it feels like then it's part of the pattern yeah of zooming in and then you have this one zoom out that feels like that turning point where like okay we're gonna go downhill from here and this is the moment during the sex <laughs> where she tells him about how he doesn't, he told her not to marry her. I feel like I just saw the movie flash in front <laughs> of like, Andrew's eyes. Like it looked like you were he's studying it. Through the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> It's it, yeah, it, it, it's so interesting. I mean, like as a filmmaker, I'm, you know, when I'm watching something, like I am often kind of like thinking very, you mm. know, like shotlisty and, and just thinking like, how did they pull that off? How did they pull it off? Mm-hmm. And there is something about this film that just like, I am so moved and weirded out by it that like it kind of, I start to kind of forget. I'm just in the movie. There's, there's something very engrossing about it. Yeah. But you sort of love when that happens though. When a movie takes you over, that means it's working. I, I want to <laughs> steal ideas from it. This is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of it, it catches you off guard in a way, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I think just that final sequence, you know, like the wedding and the beach, like I just like wasn't expecting it. It really kind of took my breath away the first time I saw it. It's kind of the sad thing about being a filmmaker is that like sometimes you just like you're so engrossed in it, right? That like you just can't stop thinking about how they did it. But every now and then you encounter a movie that just like totally distracts you. I think there was something interesting about thinking about what uh, choices that Glazer makes that kind of made it even more interesting being somebody who has behind the scenes experience, right? Where like if you look at the opening scene, I think about the photo shot and how high it is. It's like this high angle and it like it's not the choice you would make if you were trying to save money, right? Because you could follow him on the ground. <laughs> but then you do this thing where you follow him from up top and then there's something odd and strange about it and thinking about, okay, why, why did he make that choice? and how odd this is, and then feeling like I'm going to hit my head on the bridge as he's running through Central Park. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And I think that makes it interesting to to look at from a filmmaking perspective where you're thinking about why make this weird oddball choice? Like you think about that close-up on Nicole Kidman in the symphony, because it zooms in on her, it means that she's still acting with, she's surrounded by people, right? And I think about what's outside the frame, and I think, I guess that helps her, right? acting-wise, that she's alone in a group of people. Because you could have cut to a close-up and you could have cleared the room, right? But they didn't, so, (laughs) yeah. 
I know. I mean, like, there are so many times where, like, I mean, you, yeah, you, you watch this movie and it's like they they spent money where they needed to, you know, like that entire <laughs> room of people, right? Because you see yeah. it in a wide shot. That entire room of people, you see them for yeah twenty seconds, like ten seconds, and then it's just on her, you know. And it's like, yeah, like that's that's like a day of work for people. Like that's like yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars. And that shot that you mentioned, the opening shot, you know, like that was pre-drone, right? They didn't have drones. I don't exactly know what they, they did with it. But yeah, like uh, this this movie, they spent the money when they needed to. Like, they, really, <laughs> they really did. Even th- that, that quick shot of the birth, right? Like mm. the kid being born, you know, yeah. that's like a real child being born, right? Like, yeah. and so like that's, that's a thing, you know, not like a faked thing and did you even need that shot? Not necessarily, but like, I get why it's there. And, and that's a little, you know, that's an interesting question for me as a filmmaker, like as I grow in my career, just like knowing like my resources will continue to grow and, and what can I do with them in a way that I didn't even dream of before. It's know? kind of like you got you to gotta stop stopping yourself from wanting things, right? Because I feel like when you're doing indie filmmaking, you're always thinking, oh man, but that's going to cost money. And then you stop yourself from wanting that thing. Yeah. And I think that's really tough. Like in Singapore, the budgets are so low for indie films. Even when you're thinking creatively, you're like, but that's going to cost money. And then that stifles a little bit the creative vision, which is a bit sad. <laughs> I mean, a bit jealous of Glazer's money, but yeah. <laughs> of his budget, but okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing. Like I talk about it with some friends you know, it's like so much of my early filmmaking career, like Spa Night, Driveways, like you have a box, right? Mm. And that's your resources. And in some ways, what you do as a filmmaker is you start to lean on the walls of the box because mm. like you can make choices if you lean on them. Like you, you feel it and you're like, okay, I could build a choice off of that. Right. So you feel the bounds. And then when you get slightly more resources, like you start reaching for the walls and you're just like, where are the bounds? And sometimes <laughs> they're not there actually because they're they're further out. And so wow. what I've done on certain projects, you know, to my detriment was created kind of phantom boxes and just leaned on those because I'm like, oh, it's still close and I can I can feel it. And I do think that some of the best filmmakers are the ones that like they just keep reaching. Right. They're just like trying to see where mm. where the bounds are and they're going to push on it just a little bit you know there's an ambition right and that's something that like i have to be very conscious of because i tend to try and not ruffle feathers and you know i create the phantom box because it feels comforting but yeah i think it's the thing where like you have to you just have to kind of like reach out and and you think about so many of the like very well regarded filmmakers they have reputations that they're assholes right (laughs) and they have like they like want things a certain way and I don't like encourage or support a culture of like abuse and, you know, like assholery on set. Um, You know, so it's kind of like, how can you be ambitious and ask for the things that you want, but in a way that's still like collaborative and creating a supportive environment? You know, that's an interesting balance that you have to strike. Do you feel like now that you have like two features under your belt, you feel more comfortable reaching farther within the box? I mean, I do, but I think it's, it, I think this is a, like a lifelong journey for me. And right. like, I'll, I'll, I'll always kind of feel this way. Like, I, you know, this is very annoying of me, but like, you know, I totally looked up how old Jonathan Glazer was when he made Sexy Beast. <laughs> and how old was that? He was 35, <laughs> uh, which is my age right now. 
but yeah, you know, it's this thing where it's like birth was his second feature and I'm just like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> very impressive. And I can't imagine, but you know, I, I try not to compare myself to people, but it's so interesting, you know, Ben, that you mentioned like Singapore. I remember when I was trying to make Spawn, I, I watched the movie Elo Elo oh, yeah. on an airplane. And I knew that it was his first feature because I think mm-hmm. it won the Camera Door at Cannes. Camera Door, yeah. yeah. And so like I knew it was his first feature and I watched the film on the plane and I was like, wow, like this is a really good film. Like for a first feature, like this is the first feature experience I wanted to make. Mm. And then I looked up how old he was and I was just like, fuck, if I want to like beat his pace, <laughs> and I need to make Spawnite like right now. Like I need to make it like right now. You know, it's it's very silly to do those comparisons, but you know, it, it, it's it's it, it, we're only human, right? It is something that we right. end up doing. But I feel uh, that yeah. I feel that very strongly because <laughs> I definitely do that too. <laughs> and me knowing like Anthony Chen being from Singapore, that's even more pressure. <laughs> but I try to like make myself feel better because like, yeah, right now he's making his third feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they love him. Like the me like the media industry here is like fully supporting him. Yeah, yeah I mean he's good. Yeah. yeah, I know a filmmaker who I won't name, American independent filmmaker who's made great films, who has like a secret letterbox account. <gasps> and every year he creates a letterbox list of films made by filmmakers that are his age that year. You know, so no. like, <laughs> when he turned 35, he found like movies that were made by 35 year old filmmakers. Oh my God. And then he'll watch that through the year, right? That's self torture. Yeah, that really <laughs> is. It's really terrible. It's like not, I don't want to know. I like don't want to look at those lists because I think it would just be like nightmarish, but yeah. Oh man. <laughs> That's why I only wow. watch films made by old people. <laughs> <laughs> and be like, I got until I'm 50 to make this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said about like how your perspective on the world changes and, and kind of the films that you make at certain times in your life and, and what insight you have into those people, you know, to your characters. I mean, what I find so interesting about Glazer's career is that he took such a long break after birth before doing Under the Skin. But he was doing a lot of ad work and music video work, which I think lends itself to like his more stylistic tendencies and probably how he like earned a lot of money <laughs> by doing those and is able to build a reputation to like take on another big budget movie. Have you guys seen his short film that's on movie The Fall? Oh, I haven't. No, no I haven't. So I know that his next project is going to be a film either about or set during the Holocaust, which makes me wary whenever anyone sets out to do that. I think that a lot of movies on the American side tries to make sense of things, and I don't necessarily think that's appropriate for content about the Holocaust, but kind of some of the things that we've said about Glazer and how he gives leeway for the observation of behavior and interpretation maybe makes me curious in a way that like Son of Saul handling the Holocaust is very much so about behavior and observation and not trying to make a ton of sense. I would be curious to see if Glazer is going to take that kind of approach. Mm. The short film, do you do you recommend it? Is it something um, we should watch? It's funky. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> the brief synopsis is that 
there's a bunch of people in the woods all wearing these masks with theatrical maudlin expressions. And they chase down this one guy and they drop him down a well. And then he climbs back up as the credits play. (laughs) It's sort of nightmarish. Like literally, it doesn't make sense and feels like stepping into a sleeping mode. Mm. I, I don't know how it slots into the rest of his career, but it's interesting. Do you have any last comments? Like very fun to talk this out with you all. It's a film that I, I think has has stayed with me for many years because I just find it so um, just like weird and bizarre uh, and fascinating. And, and I think at the end of the day, like really for me as as someone who thinks a lot about like having just one life to live and thinking a lot about love, that it makes me really sad and scared actually you know there's something you know I think when you're in your 20s people will say to you like oh there's so many fish like in the sea right is that the saying like um, yes. <laughs> and there is like a part of me like with every relationship I've had I've, I've always wondered like oh like did I just fuck up the one that was meant for me you know Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't I don't mean to like get too snappy, but yeah, I think that for me is is at the heart of why like I'm just so uh, like uh, I can't shake the movie. And so I'm very very glad that I I can chat with you all about it because I think it's it's helping me process it. Maybe I can get over this movie. Maybe this movie is my Sean, right? Like it's just <laughs> I need to just like move on. I need to marry another another film. Yeah, marry yeah. a Joseph film. <laughs> don't know if i like that i don't think i would like a joseph film (laughs) but yes thank thank you for like inviting me as your first guest to the podcast thank you so much for being on the pod thank you a lot of fun thank you andrew thank you so much for listening to this episode of deep cut please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Elak. And I'm Andrew. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time.